Hi, I'm Eric, and this is For Colored Nerds, the weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture we rarely discuss in mixed company. All right, so today on the show, we are joined by reality TV icon Carlos King. As executive producer and founder of Kingdom Reign Entertainment, Carlos is probably one of the most influential players in reality TV today. From his start on Real Housewives of Atlanta to shows he helped create like Bell Collective, My Killer Body with Kay Michelle, Love and Marriage, Huntsville, and DC, Carlos has the timeline in a chokehold damn near every week. Okay, so Carlos came on the show to talk about his illustrious career, his new podcast, Reality with the King, and he even answers some of the questions you always wanted to know about how they make the reality in reality TV. All right, y'all, in order to hear that, you got to stay tuned. So don't go nowhere. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fog up the glass. Tillamook ice cream, extraordinary dairy. All right, I am so excited to say the one, the only... Carlos King, welcome to For Colored Nerds. Eric, thanks for having me. I feel honored to wow. be a part of this. As a colored nerd myself, <laughs> I think I fit the description. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you. That is an honor, especially coming from someone with such a career as yourself. You've been a veteran of TV production for a long time. Your EP credits are legion. And we actually interacted way at the beginning of my career I actually applied to be your assistant <laughs> way, way back when, when you were like, I think in a different kind of different arm of your career, you were EP of the Soul Train Awards. So I would say I did not get that job, uh, which is, which is okay. It was a good interview. I had no experience whatsoever. So, you know, but I didn't Eric, take it you personally. Are, you are great. You are great. <laughs> Thank you. It's very okay. I'm sure you picked the right person. Oh, the best person for you. Oh, it was the best thing that happened to you because look where you are now. So trust me. There we go. There we go. It all worked out. It all worked out. But I'm curious though, like at what point did you make the shift into the reality TV as we know it today? What was the thing that said like, let me try something different? I come from the school of the Oprah Winfrey talk show days and Sally Jesse Raphael and Ricky Lake. So my education was always talk show, the news, and scripted television. So I knew courtesy of those outlets that I wanted to get in the business. And then when I got to New York City, I interned at Def Jam Records back in the Irv Gotti Ashanti days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a whole lot of tea about so that. I about to say, so you got stories for real, for real. <laughs> so I was interning there, and then I got an intern at The View. Then I got wow. an intern at BT. So I was always in this industry, but my first paid job was at BET, working on 106 and Park. And then as I was climbing the ladder at BET, 
I started to see a lot of reality shows happen, like The Hills and Laguna Beach were the big ones at that right. time. And I was such a fan of those genres of television. And I believe, Eric, when you speak things into existence, it happens for you. Yeah. Everyone at BET knew that I was all about The Hills. Mm-hmm. And a woman by the name of Joy overheard this conversation. And a few months later, she said, hey, I got this opportunity to work on this reality show um, in Atlanta. They may call it the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Are you interested? <laughs> because all you talk about is the hills. That's all you talk about. So I know you want to get into reality. Would you take this opportunity? And long story short, I decided to say yes, and the rest is history. When you say history, you know, you say that so casually. We're going to do this show. They might call it Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> you know, like that name, that title means so much within our industry now. And obviously, you know, you worked on that show and, and were one of the EPs on that show for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into it. I want to come back because I have some specific questions about some of the work you did there. But before we get to that, I actually would love to talk a bit about the project of yours that's currently kind of tearing up our timelines and actually probably ruining couples therapy all across (laughs) the world. Your franchise, Love and Marriage, both Huntsville and D.C. Okay, so, you know, we hear these names. We hear, you know, people reference you, Carlos. We hear people reference like Mona, you know, like all these names. But as like an EP, as like an executive producer of a reality show like Love and Marriage, Huntsville now, Love and Marriage, D.C. What does your contribution at that level look like? I'm the owner of the production company, right? Kingdom Rain Entertainment. So as the CEO, I oversee everything that my company's a part of from a global macro perspective. So I oversee my staff members, my team of producers. I oversee every single show that's on our slate. So when it comes to Love and Marriage franchise specifically, I'm not the day-to-day producer who's in Huntsville producing them. When I was a showrunner for Real Housewives of Atlanta, for example, I was in the trenches daily and asking questions behind the camera that the cast would answer in front of the camera. So that rule doesn't apply for Love and Marriage because, you know, I own the company. So my job is to oversee the entire show. I am heavily involved in making sure that the reality of my cast members is what's reflected in front of the camera. Mm. I'm very involved in post-production. So for your listeners, that's the editing of the show. I don't physically edit the show, but you will never see a show that made air that I haven't watched. Mm. So I make sure that my brand and my specialty is on it. And it's funny, Eric, because I was talking to my siblings in our group chat the other day, and this will remain nameless. But we were talking about a show (laughs) that isn't great anymore. Mm. And Mm. I said it's because the creator of that show no longer is involved. And I do believe that when a creator of a show leaves the show, it doesn't bode well for the program. So I have to be involved in all of my shows because I have cultivated this brand for myself that when you watch a Carlos King executive produced show, there's an expectation of excellence. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a there's a, a quality of mess, I would even say, <laughs> that you know you're going to get, uh, which I definitely appreciate. And kind of on that note, like you speak to, you know, it's your job to really go through and make sure that the shows are speaking to the Kingdom Rain brand and also the franchise's brand itself. At the point where you were getting ready to create a franchise like Love and Marriage, how did you think about the DNA of a show like that? 
I am the type of creative person, and Eric, you may be able to relate to this too because you're creative as well. I don't force anything to manifest in terms of ideas because I feel like when you force an idea to come upon yourself is when you're just grasping at straws and you're just trying to do anything at the moment so you can go to bed or, in my case, watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then watch Echoes on Netflix, and then watch the Murder, Inc. documentary and then go to bed. So when it came to love and marriage, long story short, I met Martel and Melody Holt, who are one of the premier couples yes. of the show, and I knew I wanted to be in business with them. At this particular time in my career, I was loving Married to Medicine, yes. which is a show about doctor wives or women who are doctors. But this particular season, Eric, the focus was on these couples' relationships mm-hmm. and what was happening in their world. And I thought it was the most fascinating thing that I've ever seen at that time in my life that when I wanted to work with Melody Martell, I said, I want to do a show about Black couples in Huntsville. So again, it just came to me that way just by what was happening in my life at the time. Honestly, that makes sense. Because like when you watch the show, I think the thing that started to feel different is like you get to observe them. One, the husbands being a, a key component of it. Like you say, you're getting to observe that relationship, getting to see like how it affects business, how it affects their life. Can you believe we've been married for 10 years? I can. Well, you said it like that though. It's been amazing to me. The ups and the downs been downs aren't too. amazing. But the thing is you learn from your downs. Have That's you learned from yours? <laughs> hey. I'm still learning. I think See, you are too. wrong answer. It's so rich because it's those pieces that I think in some other shows, you get a you get a taste of it, but it doesn't feel like it's as centered as like in a franchise like Love and Marriage and, and a show like Love and Marriage. Mm-hmm. Is any part of you surprised at just how popular the show has become? Yes. And listen, when you cultivate something that means a lot to you and you put so much love in it and it's time for the world to see it. Yeah. You still hope that people love it as much as you do. I'm always pleasantly surprised when my shows do work and when it does hit because I'm in a business where everything is subjective and my product is subjected to a wide audience who will tell me... (laughs) Every day, if some shit sucks, (laughs) they don't mind telling me, Carlos, I love you. This this is my favorite, Eric. Carlos, I I love you, but um, this ain't it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be like, oh, okay, thank you. So when Love and Marriage became like this huge hit, it sort of happened overnight in a sense. And because we're in an oversaturated world of reality TV where you got the Real Housewives, Love and Hip Hop, 90 Day Fiance, these big franchises, it is scary to introduce something new to the world because they want to see what they're used to. And now that Love and Marriage, Huntsville specifically, is a show that, even when we're on hiatus, Mm-hmm. The show is still the, happening on social the clips, media. The clips are going around. <laughs> so I couldn't bring you on the show without asking you about one of the biggest chapters of your career, at least so far. Uh, you're killing it. But uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta. So mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you, as I mentioned before, a producer and EP at time on that show. And you were there for some of what most folks say are like the most iconic kind of like moments, the good, good stuff, you know, from Kim and Nene falling out, she by charade, like, oh my God. So my question is, from 
inside the room. Did you see what was coming? What was so interesting about The Real Housewives of Atlanta, I knew within the first week of filming that we were onto something special. At that time in my career, I was an associate producer. So I was one level above the production assistant. So I was just pretty much responsible for getting insight from the talent, but also just really following their real life and talking to my team of producers about what was going on. And then when I got the coveted position as the executive producer, this was season six. Mm -hmm. And what was so interesting about that was the fact that it was my first time in the EP role. I'd been there for almost five years at that time. And I had the sole responsibility of what you guys were going to see. And I knew how important that was. I'm the first Black man to ever EP the Real Housewives franchise. So I knew that pressure going into it. Because you know how we feel like, child, if one Black person messes up, you mess it up for all the Black (laughs) people. We're done. We're done. Like, they said, we tried. Y'all fucked up. Right? I represent y'all. It's a wrap for you. Yeah, Yeah, like, (laughs) we will never hire another Black person, right? So... I knew that I wanted to make sure the men had a voice because I grew up in a household where my father definitely had a voice. My father was in my mother's business with her girlfriends. (laughs) And to me, it wasn't anything foreign. It was like, if you're married... You know what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) The wife knows what's going on in her husband's business and vice versa. So I never understood this whole conceit of the men are background players. Black men who are married ain't no background player in their marriage, period. (laughs) So I knew I wanted to show more of that. And I knew I wanted to show more of the personal stories with these women. I knew that in order for you to rush home Mm -hmm. at 8 o'clock on a Sunday, you had to be watching something that you felt like, I must watch this at this time in my life right now. And that was my intention in producing that season. So when we got the highest ratings ever still in the history of the network and the franchise is season six of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And a lot of that had to do with my willingness to make sure that I was like, fuck this. I'm going to do what I want to do because as a Black man in the seat, no one can tell a Black person's story more than me. I mean, well, one, that's the truth. I think it's, it's so much of that is alone is the reason why, you know, the reason why we created this show. I think that something I want to kind of come to on the tip of that is like this was a monumental season of the show explosive even contributions to just like meme culture like just like what that time of real housewives has even done for meme culture a part of me is even kind of curious like how you feel about some of that because like it don't get to say I as much as everybody send you know like if I'm if I'm somewhere if my wife and I have showed up somewhere and it's not feeling right I'm you know I'm slipping her the ghetto The ghetto. The ghetto. <laughs> the Nene Leaks ghetto. The Nene, me, like, yes. Oh my goodness. But I also have seen white folks on the timeline sometimes, you know, using like using responses. I'm like, you, one, you know you don't talk like that. And one, you probably didn't even watch that show. You know, and like, and but this is, you know, how you choose to present yourself. So like I'm curious, like, does any of you feel kind of a way about how the popularity of this show has gone beyond us. I'd be curious about that for Love and Marriage, too. Like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, yeah, does any part of that, like, feel weird? No, it doesn't feel weird at all because, let's be clear, dating back until before you and I were born, Black culture has always been the epicenter of popular culture. You know, mm-hmm. Elvis Presley, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. Elvis Presley stole the sounds of Black artists, right? There's certain people who are still doing it today. Mm, when facts. it comes to anything sexy and interesting and, and, and just so fucking magnificent, you better believe it's a Black person behind that curation. So when you think about the success, for example, for the longest time, The Real Housewives of Atlanta was the number one show on Bravo, which means the number one franchise in general. And that's an all-Black cast. And a lot of that had to do with, of course, white folks are watching it too. And they wanted to see like, wow, this is very interesting. Like how Black culture gets to coexist in this landscape of Atlanta, Georgia and friendships. And that goes into love and marriage. I was on another serious XM show called Reality Check with Amy Phillips. And a caller called in and she said to me, Carlos, I love you. I'm a white woman from Idaho and I love love and marriage. (laughs) And I was like, Like, thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Sally Ann. So that makes me happy. And then the podcast I have, Reality with the King. Yes. The white folks are loving that podcast and it's, it's insane. And I think a lot of it, Eric, too, is they just want to hear from us. Yeah. I strongly believe that oftentimes they may not have anybody who looks like us in their circle. I think it's wanting to hear from us and also wanting to or see black people as we kind of naturally are. I know it sounds so basic, but just like seeing people be comfortable. I want to jump into some of the things about reality TV. Like, to be honest, Brittany, I had a couple shows. You've been on our guest list for a while just because there are so few black people at that level in the industry and with the experience that you have. So I couldn't take this opportunity to not try to like crack open the door a little bit for how, you know, you make the sausage. And so I have a few questions if I could throw your way. I'm calling this Ask a Producer. Go ahead. Let's go. So one of the most kind of interesting quirks about reality TV is how fragile the balance is between what can feel like planning, we're going to have a lunch or we're going to go on a trip. And coincidence in how we get to some of these like iconic moments of greatness. Like, can you let us in on how you think about the mix of like setting your characters up to have an interesting moment and not scripting Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what is happening? No, great question. So I'll start by saying when it comes to just the reality show genre, because I get asked this question a lot, like, is it real? Is it fake? I can only say to you, when it comes to the shows I produce, they're very real. But yes, there are other shows that are on the air that are super duper fake, super duper set up. They're acting. They know what they're doing. And it, everything is sort of orchestrated, which to me yeah. is boring. Like, I yeah, like the element... Stale. Yeah, I like the element of surprise and sort of going with the flow. That's my background in, in producing reality. So the way we sort of do it is, Going back to what I was saying earlier about my days starting off as an associate producer working on Atlanta Housewives, for example, my job was to get insight from the cast. So, for example, if I'm talking to NeNe Leagues, she'll say, I fucking hate Kim, and Kim did this to me, and Kim (laughs) did that. I'm like, she did? I'm like, well, you got to talk to her about that. What are you talking to me? ain't going to do shit. Like, talk to her about it. So, we would obviously get them in the room together. So... 
you may say like, well, is Kim being set up because she doesn't know what's coming her way? The thing about it is when you sign on to be on a reality show, what I always tell people is you don't know what's coming your way in real life. I can go down to the Publix and I may run into an ex (laughs) that may have beef with me and I got to deal with this shit in aisle three picking us a cap and crunch. But I'm going (laughs) to deal with it, yo. So the beauty of this reality world that I get a lot from my cast is... I do not want to have this conversation, but I know I have to (laughs) because we're shooting a TV show. So I wouldn't use the word set up, but yes, you have to set the situation around this sort of conversation that needs to take place because you know it's coming and you know it has to happen. And whatever happens when those two people sit down is up to them. You might set the stage, but... uh... I know, and I'm going to tell you a secret, Eric. You cannot have any expectations going in. Mm. Like, if you go in, you're like, yo, this shit's about to, like... Okay, so more than likely, she's going to run here. And the moment none of that happens, a producer who doesn't know how to do their job will feel like, wow, that was a waste of of a scene or shit, nothing happened. But an experienced producer will not have any expectations. They'll come in and say, they're going to have this, but whatever happens, we're going to follow. And find that story. And it doesn't always have to be a big, drawn-out argument or fight in order for it to be interesting. It's more so about how real is this conversation happening to the point where your audience can pick a side. Because what I love, Eric, is... Oh, I'm Team Melody when I'm Team Tisha. When I'm yes. I'm Team Monique when I'm Team Ashley. Like, you want your audience to walk away feeling like they picked a side. A part of me also wonders about a thing that feels like it's kind of popped up a little bit in conjunction to this, but outside of your control. So reality TV has become so popular that we can tell when people like you, you almost can tell when someone is like, this is my shot. I am trying to land this moment. I'm trying to create the storyline or kind of whatever that is. I think as a producer, how do you think about something like that? That seems like it could fuck a lot of shit up. And it has. And I've been around to the point where I've seen a lot of dehydrated people come on the show who wanted to just make their moment. What I say to my reality (laughs) listeners is, I don't mind you being thirsty. Don't be dehydrated. So when a person does the absolute most to get a moment, and it doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) And as a viewer, you're watching it like, now look, I don't mind you amping things up to make sure we're entertained. But it has to be rooted in a real place. And I think that's the problem with people who just want to be on reality TV for the sake of being on reality TV. They all want the career that Cardi B has, for example. So they feel like, I mean, she was on Love & Hip Hop for two Mm -hmm. seasons and now she's the biggest hip hop artist in the world. But that's her trajectory. You know, you look at someone like Anini Leakes, who arguably is the greatest housewife that ever existed. Yeah, She has always been herself. and, And you can tell that how genuine she is based on watching her. So yes, when you're dehydrated, (laughs) the audience knows it. I know it. The network knows it. So what I always tell my producers is, when you see somebody who's acting like that to get a moment, give them one. Mm. Because baby, we ain't got time. (laughs) Give them one, sit down and say, hey, 
you're doing the most and it's not good. Like, be yourself, be present. If you feel a way, say it. But you going about it to where it's evident you're trying to get a moment. The other cast members aren't respecting you because they know it. Yeah. They, they, they know it and they won't film with you. So this is your first and final warning. And nine times out of ten, they'll get it. Yeah. But it's that small percentage where they don't. And at least on my shows, they're gone. Mm. Uh, let's talk about that. So, like, how do you know when it's time to change up a cast or try something new? Because, you know, we talked about it. We talked about Real Housewives. There's There's been infinite debate, especially in the last seasons, about, like, who should come back, who shouldn't come back. Should they start over? Like, I've heard, I heard it all. So I guess, like, how, as a producer, do you really get a feel for that? Because, like you said, people get on teams. They make relationships with these people. And I imagine you don't want to mess that up. But as you mentioned, sometimes it gets a little stale. The moment you know it's time for them to maybe go is when a couple of things happen. Number one, you can tell when that person just isn't interested mm-hmm. anymore. You know, sometimes they may have gotten beat up by the press, beat up by social media, and they're mm-hmm. exhausted. And they feel like, I don't want to do this because if I do this, then the people on Twitter are going to come for me. And they just become boring. And yeah. that's when you definitely say, you got to go. So that's one. Two, when you realize that, okay, you really have nothing going on in your life. You don't have anything interesting. And one thing I will say, being on an ensemble reality show is similar to being on a sports team. Everybody feels like you have to hold your weight. Yeah. And you look at the did weight. Are you the five starters? Are you a bench player? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm making X amount of millions and you on the same stage as me, I'm giving this show my world. You're giving them nothing, and you make the same as me. Yeah, I might feel away. Yeah, and that causes conflict within the production because rightfully so. And last but not least, when, let's say, a new person comes into an established show Mm -hmm. where that person has to, like, really infiltrate themselves in the ensemble. They may come in through one friend that they have, but they don't know the other cast members as well. If you, as a new person coming into this established franchise, if you haven't developed relationships with the other people, yeah, then you have to go. Because goal, yeah. it's going to be painfully obvious that you're here because you're on TV and you're not here because you're investing in getting to know these people. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. 
Malamuk chocolate collection ice cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's all-purpose cleaner cleans and kills 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria. It can be used on hard, non-porous surfaces like the kitchen, bathroom, and other areas in your home. <sighs> Don't just clean. Lysol clean. I want to pivot just a little bit. You built a career in reality TV that is pretty hard to replicate, especially at this point. But now you've pivoted a little bit and you are also hosting. You're hosting Reality with the King, obviously a podcast. In addition to that, obviously you have your show. You're stepping into the host chair with a TV show. Like, I'm curious, like, what is inspiring you to kind of step behind the mic or in front of the camera at this particular point in your career? What's driving that? Listen, as a kid in Detroit, I remember being 12 years old, waking up on a Saturday afternoon, watching this show on BT called Teen Summit. Yes. That was hosted by Ananda <laughs> Lewis. Talk about it. I looked at Ananda Lewis and I said, oh, oh, I, I want to do that. Like, I, Damn. she, wow. Like, it was so dope. Just the way she worked, like, the room. She was young, like us. She knew what to talk to people about. She knew how to keep the conversation going. She was cool. Trust me, I'm with you. And I was just like, yo, she's different. And then Oprah Winfrey came along, and I studied her. And I said, yeah. okay, I want a talk show. This is what I want to do. Now, mind you, Eric, I didn't have this personality. I... <laughs> I I'm telling you, I was a nerd, nerd, nerd. Yeah. I was the smartest kid in class. I got good grades. I never got in trouble, never been to a fight. I was a nerd. So the idea like, oh, you're going to be an on-camera personality yeah. when you don't even have a personality? Okay, great. But it's always been in the back of my mind, like, this is what I want to do. But then when I graduated high school and you know, again, intern at these places. The dream never went away, but I was like, I know I want to be in production. Yeah. So then my career took the path of reality TV. But in the meantime, I would still cultivate the dream that I had. Hmm. So I would study reunions and I would study how people talk and, and hosting. And I remember, so you know how you, you hop on the elevator and they have that screen, the TV screen? Yeah. And sometimes it's just like the news is on, but it's words. Yeah. So I would treat that like my teleprompter. Mm -hmm. And I did that the moment <laughs> I moved dope. to New York City. Although I was too busy working and stuff, the moment I had 10 seconds in the elevator, mm -hmm. I would stand straight, read the screen like a teleprompter, and practice my enunciation and practice yeah. my voice. So I was already ready when the time came. And then, long story short, I created a show called Hollywood Divas for TV One. And we were looking for a host for the reunion. 
Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm like 34, 35 years old. And D'Angela Proctor, who was the head of programming at the time, she was like, who do you want to host it? And I said, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Eric, I'm going hey, for I would watch it. You would have me there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Whoopi. <laughs> Here's some more. Terrence J. You know, I was like... And she was like, mm, that don't seem right. And then she said, how about you host it? Mm-hmm. And I said, me? And she said, you have this personality. You're the diva whisperer. The girls love you. I feel like you're able to get a lot of things out of them. You should do it. I have never, Eric, hosted a reunion in my life. And she said, in order for this to work, do a mock reunion with Golden Brooks and Lisa Wu. Hey. Send it to me, and I'll send it to my boss. And I did it, and that's how I was able to host the reunion. But the point of all that, Eric, is although I had this dream since I was 12, the dream never disappeared. And because my reality wasn't what I was dreaming about, I still practiced, and I still studied, and I still made sure that I'm going to be sitting on ready. So when the call comes in, I don't have to go backwards in terms of like rehearsing and re-educating myself and studying. Like, nah, baby, I'm good. That's so beautiful. I think it's beautiful for so many reasons. One, just because the fact that you kind of didn't give up. So many people can identify. And I think people are experiencing that right now where like, you know, you had a dream probably around like 12, 14. You're like, I'm about to do, you know, this is where I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. And then I feel like sometimes, you know, you you walk into life and life is like, well, this is what you're about to do. This is what is going on. And we can leave it behind. But I think there's something beautiful to kind of like, even though you had to pivot, like leaving, I'm just going to leave the hope. I'm just going to leave the thought and cultivate that with some support, some work, some, you mm-hmm. know, some practice. I think that's, that's beautiful to kind of be there when you're ready. And for what it's worth, it is a skill. I have to say, like, every time I watch the Married at First Sight reunions with uh, Kevin Frazier, Kevin Frazier, is, he is skilled in it, and you are yeah. as well. And if you hear so much of that, obviously, on Reality with the King, tell us a little bit about what you get out of that show and what you hope your audience is gaining for the show. Because it's spicy, man. You've been, I've you... been approached by a lot of people to do a podcast dating back to like 2018. Yeah. Like, do a podcast, do a podcast. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the time is right. Let me focus on the company and other things I have going on. And that's why I go into saying like, listen, you could be thirsty, but like always know when the time is good for you. You, you don't yeah. jump on everything that comes your way. So when I met Jasmine Henley Brown, who's the yeah. EP of Reality with the King, and I was at the point in my career, Eric, when I was like, I have this voice. I have power in my voice. I know this because my tweets go viral. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> if I say anything about a reality show or person, People will say, the king has spoken, and that's it. <laughs> like, it's not up for discussion, because Carlos King has said what he said. Yeah. And I was like, if I'm able to take that power mm-hmm. and parlay that into this podcast, and the one thing that you guys said and still holds true today is, you know your audience more than we do. You call them your raindrops. Like, this is your audience. And... I'm at the point in my career now, Eric, where I know that I have power in my voice. And not only that, I don't give a fuck about what people think about me. Love it. I just don't care. 
And I knew that if I put myself out there twice a week mm-hmm. with my <laughs> opinion, I am going to get ate up by Black Twitter. <laughs> and I have been ate up by Black Twitter. But I, I, I find joy in that because I'm love. a part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm a part of the conversation. So guess what? Keep talking because I want people to tune in and I'm having the time of my life doing it because talk to my producers. There are days I'm like, hey, I know we're scheduled to talk to so-and-so on Friday at noon, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about something today at 2 o'clock that is just in my spirit. And I, I need an outlet to get it out. And that's just been the beauty of this podcast. And last but not least... My audience, yes, they love my interviews. You know, we have a lot of earned media, Eric, as you know, People Magazine, Shade Room, Entertainment Tonight, Page Six, TMZ. Mm. It's Love the list. It's like, (laughs) Eric, it's crazy. And my audience, they're like, we just love it when you go on these rants. Mm, Yes. Like, just keep it real with us. And it's it's, it's been a blessing. What has been the most kind of surprising thing you've learned or that has come out on the show? Because most of the people who you're talking to, you you know, you have relationships mm-hmm. with. But I imagine these are probably deeper conversations that, you know, that you're maybe having in increments. Like, what's been the thing that came out where you're like, damn, I'm so glad that I have this space? Without a doubt, the Ebony K. Williams interview, which was the first episode when the podcast launched April 6th of this year. Were you, I, I'm going to be real. Were you blackballed by Luann, Ramona, Leah, in terms of not being able to come to the table. They were unwilling to, yes, if you want to call it blackballed, I'm not going to you know, dispute the semantics of that, Carlos. What I am telling you plainly, only Sonia Morgan was willing to come to the table and negotiate a future that involved me as a part of this ensemble. Period. I had all of these negative thoughts about Ebony K. Williams mm based on what I was watching on The Real Housewives of New York City. Hmm. So, because I'm a journalist... Because <laughs> <laughs> I asked the hard questions. <laughs> you know, hey, I, listen, I studied in college, so look, I'm a journalist, okay? Take the title, you got it. So, I was coming in like, it's going to be real. Like, I'm going to yeah. be real with her. And I was. And during the reality of our conversation, how deep it got... I walked in like, I can't stand her. She ruined the Real Housewives of New York City. I don't like her. To fully understanding who she is. Hmm. And the stuff she had to suffer being the first Black housewife on New York City. And I walked away apologizing to her on air. Hmm. And saying what I'm saying to you, that I came in one way, I'm leaving a whole nother person... In my experience, if I can have this eureka moment, right, I know that my audience is going to have it as well. And it's no surprise that episode launching Reality with the King is definitely what shot to us getting to be number one on the TV film category because it was like, no, if I'm feeling this way, my listeners will feel it. 
And then we became viral because of that. I want to linger there because it brings up something that I've, I feel like has been on the tip of my tongue, <laughs> almost like wanting to kind of talk about for a little bit. A big part of that conversation was the experience that she had on New York. And there were accusations of racism. And I feel like housewives in particular, there's been a really rapidly escalating kind of conversation about race and racism like across the shows. And it's been interesting because, like, there have been some changes. Like, they've obviously they added Garcelle, they've added Ebony, and you know, there's been some kind of those the new what I call sometimes the integrated show, the integrated cast. So we have kind of more diversity across the franchises than we've seen. But this has also kind of predictably led to a lot of instances of alleged and overt racism popping up. I'm curious, like, how do you think about a solve for this issue? Is this something that's like at the casting level? How do you think about that? I think it goes into when you try to do something because you're trying to fulfill a quota in, in the sense mm -hmm. of you are forcing something to happen because you feel the need to make a change ASAP yeah. without giving it a complete thought. And I think we saw that with the addition of Ebony. It was yeah. like, you don't know any of these women yeah. at all. And you just dropped her in there. <laughs> you dropped like, her in there. It was like, all right, bitch, go. Yeah, good And luck. you wonder why she had a horrible experience. And as a Black man watching her, she just was not fun to watch. Yeah. And that's coming from me watching it. Because again, when I watch reality TV, I want to see the reality of your lives. But yeah. I also want to make sure that if the cameras are rolling, this shit will still be happening. And when you try to insert a Black person into a world where they really aren't a part of this particular world, yeah. then maybe leave it alone for this particular show. That's why you have Black-owned production companies with mm, Black talk producers. <laughs> Create something yeah. different. Say, hey, Carlos King or Jesse Collins or Mona Scott, can you find us a friend group that's diverse in real life? Because there's tons of diversity in friendships in real life, especially in New York City. Mm -hmm. So... I think that needs to be the call to action that's happening. It's sort of like watching sports and you've seen the Lakers and how the Lakers won the championship last year. But this year, they didn't make it to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. And something's missing. That's mm -hmm. like you going around and saying, well, let's make this trade to have Russell Westbrook. He's a great <laughs> player, but is he the right fit? Mm. See, the, see, I know sports. <laughs> but is he the right fit for this ensemble? Yeah. Like, what, are we, what does that do you know, to the dynamic? Yeah, like, like, is this, or what are you trying to fulfill? So yeah. I think you have to do it with the best intention. And that's why a lot of these institutions, mm -hmm. they don't get it right because they feel like an easy fix is plopping someone into something versus saying, no, yeah. let's globally have a conversation about what we can do to really represent the real world. And oftentimes that's talking to real Black folk and people of color to give you suggestions on what to do. And until you have those uncomfortable conversations, you're always going to lose. And that's why it's still going on where people are like, I smell racism, I smell, yeah. I smell it because you guys aren't doing anything to solve the problem. 
it feels like rushed intentional. <laughs> you know, it's like we needed to do something. When Black people are put in that experience to that point where, where they don't have the support or we haven't been thought, like what could happen to us hasn't been thought through. You know, like it's it doesn't go well. And it's something that I think so many people have been kind of like watching and picking at. And it's like, to your point, there needs to be a bit of a of a reckoning with it. It's something I've noticed a lot. And it's actually really kind of affected going back to those, you know, like franchises. Because I had kind of fallen out with Real Housewives for a, for a while. And I yeah. come back and I'm like, huh. And even last night, so the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills came on last night. It was the worst episode in the history of the franchise. Yeah, you must be talking about last night when uh, everybody kind of ganged up on Sutton around the table. It was it was bleak. It was a nasty display of bullying that I don't tune in to watch that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see that. And my, again, my following, they tweeted me, I can't wait to hear you talk about that episode, Carlos. I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to go in again. But I, I agree with you. Listen, this is my world that I'm so familiar with. And even at this place in my career, I can watch something as a viewer, not a producer, yeah. but, but as a viewer. And I'm just like, this shit just isn't good. It ain't it. It's not. Whew. All right. Well, I, I, we can almost like put a put a pause in that one right there. I, I guess I, one question I have. You spoke kind of about from the seat of your career, being able to really watch this industry, the birth of it and, you know, the maturation of it. And I guess like, what do you think at its like core is the thing that like makes these shows so popular amongst the audience? What is that piece that really just won't let us let it go? Because I can't. I yeah. Try. <laughs> It's when you find that person or persons who have this extraordinary life that you ask yourself, is this shit real? <laughs> so when you think about Melody and Martell and you're like, did this motherfucker have a baby on his wife? Like, mm. nigga, did you? You know, like you really think about that. Like, yeah. is this shit? And then when you look at them and say, but they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that melody has something about her that I just, I just can't keep my eyes off of. That's why I always say to people, it's not easy creating shows. Like, you can have a great idea, but are these the right people to fulfill that idea? Yeah. And that is hard to find. I was talking to a, a network executive the other day because we're developing the show together. And I got these group of Gen Zers in my inbox from the casting director. And I was like, this is the best cast I've seen in a very long time. And and I've been in this game for 15 years. And I told the network executive that this shit is is good. Because it's 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 refreshing. And most importantly, Eric, it's real life friendships Mm -hmm. and it's real life conflict. So when people say like, oh, your shows are ratchet because you make people fight or you, you, you set them up. I'm like, oh, really? Because when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock in front of Jada Pinkett Smith, did y'all blame Will Packer who produced that particular award ceremony? No. You saw what happens when a person is just feeling like their back is up against the wall and they have to do something. But if that shit happened, if if a man slapped another man in front of his wife in Alabama, you Ooh. best believe they will say, Carlos King, you are the most ratchet man in the world. <laughs> and, and I got a better thing for you. Mm-hmm. 99% of the black community defended Will Smith and said, well, uh, he's defending his wife. 
And listen, I'm not here to say yes or no to that. But what I find funny is if that happened in the world of reality television, mm. y'all would be so mad at the Will Smith archetype because mm. he threw the first punch. So again, it's all about finding these real people because if I could find the Jada Pinkin and Will Smith a reality, call me. He's like, I'm accessible. My uh, DMs are open. You, you know, Kingdom Reign, if you didn't catch that. Entertainment. Honestly, it makes a lot of sense. And it's a really good point about, like, that behavior in the context of reality. Like, you know, we think about when people do get to the point uh, where they're throwing hands. It always is, like, the part where it's like, oh, y'all definitely did too much. You, you slipped. And so it's interesting to see that. To your point, like, you know, black folks, black folks, we're we going to be real. Sometimes it slips out, you know, where, where it shouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. hey, just being straight up. So I know you are continuing to, you know, well, I know at least from your contract, Reality with a King <laughs> is going to continue to come out twice a week. I'm so excited about that. But what else is going on for you? Like, what else do you have coming up? So we're working on, as you know, the Love & Mash franchise. Bell Collective is out right now every Friday, 9 o'clock, 8 yes. Central on the Upper Winfrey Network. I know everybody wants me to update them on the encore. Yes. When is it? When is it coming? The worst part about my job is I'm not allowed to say certain things because, as you know, Eric, it's bigger than me (laughs) when it comes to having contracts with institutions. So just know I hear you and I just have a lot of fun making more television for the world. So keep watching. We got a lot of stuff percolating and Reality with the King drops every Wednesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcast. The Nightcap with Carlos King, we're talking about what's that looking like when it comes back. So I'm busy, but it's I'm having the time of my life. This is nothing but God saying, here you are with everything you ever wanted, and there's more to come. As somebody who met you once, (laughs) way back when... Honestly, it's been awesome to see the rise, sir. And uh, and seriously, thank you for, for the work that you do. Thank you. For Colored Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by a production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams, story editor Gianna Palmer, social producer Elise Ellis, and engineer Marcus Hom. Our theme music is by Willie Green. And look, y'all, we love hearing from you so, so much. So please shout us out on Instagram at For Colored Nerds, on Twitter at For Colored Nerds. You can find us everywhere at For Colored Nerds. And tell your friends, too, We love it also when we're like, yo, my homie, cousin, best friend told me to listen to this episode and it was bomb. And then I subscribed. That's like my favorite song. So please do your do your friend, do your community a favor and share an episode and tell us which one it was. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.